0: Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. Good to see y'all. Um, I'm glad everybody's back in school. Uh, it's, it's always really barren and rusting, to say the least, whenever college students aren't here. And so it's good to see all of y'all back. Uh, hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving break, and hopefully you're geared up and ready for what always is a wonderful winter quarter, albeit very fast winter quarter. Um, but y'all, I'm just excited to have everybody back. And one of the main reasons is I just love this season. I love this time of the year whenever Christmas is approaching, Christmas is in front of us, and uh, it seems like, for the most part, it seems like people are kind of happier for at least a little while, right, and um, it's just a fun season, and What we're going to be doing for this week, and then I'll tell you what the next several weeks are going to look like a little bit later, but what we're going to be doing tonight is we're going to be doing a little bit of an Advent series, and we're doing this also in conjunction with our Sunday morning. So we'll be talking about something on Wednesday night, but then also Sunday mornings for the next three Sundays, we'll be discussing an Advent series about Jesus and his uh, arrival on earth. And so um, anyway, tonight we're going to be talking about this specifically, is the truth that Jesus came to be God with us. Now, as you can tell, the songs we just sang, God with us, and "Oh, Come, Let Us Adore Him, we're, we're getting into this mindset of, of recognizing that, that we're about to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons that a lot of people like to do an Advent series, which basically means we're focusing on the birth of Christ, is because we often are so, so numb to it, we're around it so much, we really forget what exactly happened. What really is the birth of Christ all about? What does it really mean that Jesus came to be God with us? And what I want to do tonight is I want to look at a promise, a promise that's made in the book of Isaiah, 700 plus years before Jesus was born. Then I want to look at the fulfillment of that promise in Matthew chapter 1. And then I want to talk and end with just a few implications of what does this mean for us. Let me pray for us and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. God, I thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. Lord, I thank you for this season. I thank you for this time. And and I pray, Lord, that all of us in here would be sensitive to what it is that you have to say to us tonight. Help us, God, recognize that you are not a God who's just spoken, but you are a God that is speaking. And you want to speak to us now. Open our eyes, open our ears, help us hear from you tonight. ask all this, Father, in your name. Amen. Um, so like I said, the first thing we're going to look at is the promise, a promise that Jesus came to be God with us. If you have your Bibles, will you please turn to Isaiah chapter 7? Isaiah chapter 7, it's pretty much directly in the middle, uh, to the right of Psalms, a few books, but if you don't have your Bible with you or if you're not going to look on your phone, um, we'll have the verses for you up on the screen, and fairly quickly, I'm going to try and sum this up as quick as I can, but there's a lot of backstory coming into the book of Isaiah. I don't know many people that just open Isaiah and go, yeah, I know exactly what's going on here. And so, I kind of want to help explain a little bit of the backstory. What's going on in the book of Isaiah? Well, let's backtrack a little bit. So, um, God brings His people out of Egypt. Egypt. He rescues his people out of Egypt. They spend 40 years in the wilderness. He finally brings them to the promised land. Once they're in the promised land, they go through this period of time where it's called the Judges Period. You can find that in the book of Judges in your Bible. And there's, there's these judges that are raised up to continually save Israel from sometimes themselves, from the idols around them, but from the people around them. Then right after that comes the kingdom period. And during this time, you see the first king of Israel, whose name was Saul, and the next king was David. And then after David, you have Solomon. Then after Solomon, something really interesting happened. Solomon's two sons, basically starting them, it was, it was war within the one kingdom. And so the kingdom of Israel was made up of 12 tribes, but it split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom comprised of 10 of the nations or 10 of the tribes. The southern kingdom was built up of two of the tribes. The book of Isaiah is written to Judah, which is the southern kingdom. Israel's the northern kingdom. Judah's the southern kingdom. Hopefully that somewhat made sense. And so, where we find ourselves here is Israel, after the the breach, after the break, they never once had another good king. Israel lasted 250 years and they were taken over by the Assyrians. And then Judah lasted 400 years because Judah had several good kings. Well, tonight where we're picking up in Isaiah, it's right after a chapter where Isaiah has a very interesting experience where he goes up and he's in front of God, and you see God say, Who can I send? Who will go? And Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. And what, what God says to him is, Okay, I'm gonna send you to the people of Judah, and what I want you to do is this I want you to keep preaching to people who aren't going to listen to you. I'm, I'm glad that's not what they told me whenever I got my diploma, though that might be the case. That's, not, that's beside the point, but go keep preaching to people who aren't going to listen to you. And then he says, the more you talk to them, the more their ears are going to become dull. The more you show them, the more blind they're going to continually become. But you be my messenger. And the first person he gets sent to is a man named Ahaz. Now, once again, Ahaz is a king over Judah. Judah, once again, had several good kings. His grandfather Uzziah, good king. His father Jotham, good king. Ahaz, that wasn't necessarily the case. And we see Isaiah going to Ahaz with a message from God. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 10 through 14. And remember, what we're looking for here is the promise. Starting with verse 10, it says this, "'Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, and he said, "'Ask a sign of the Lord your God. "'Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. "'But Ahaz said, I will not ask, "'and I will not put the Lord to the test.'" Now up to this point, it looks like a fairly normal thing, right? Right? Through uh, Isaiah, God says to Ahaz, ask whatever you want. Ask for a sign and I'll give you a sign. And it seems from our perspective maybe that Ahaz gave a fairly respectable answer of I'm not gonna ask for a sign because I'm not gonna put the Lord to the test. Well, that isn't exactly what's going on here. Look at verses 13 and 14 and you can see even this in the response. It says, and he said, meaning Isaiah, Isaiah said, hear then, O house of David, Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, to understand once again where we're at in this story, where this promise is coming, we need to understand more about who Ahaz was. Second Kings chapter 16 talks a little bit about Ahaz. I'll have it up on the screen for you. 2 Kings 16, 1 through 3 is all I'm going to read. It just says this. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramalia, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God as his father David had done. So we see that he's... wicked king. Now listen to what verse 3 says, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, remember who were evil, he even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And I'm not going to read anymore because I can summarize it for you. This is what Ahaz did. Ahaz was at a point in history where Israel teamed up with another neighboring country who was an enemy of theirs, Syria and tried to take over Judah. That's really nice for a old brothering uh, kingdom to do to you, right? Well, instead of Judah, who had godly kings, who had Uzziah before him, who had Jotham before him, Ahaz does not turn to the Lord. Matter of fact, you read through all of Second Kings 16 and you don't see him even mentioning the Lord. Instead, he runs to Assyria, who is an even bigger enemy, Assyria would eventually take over Israel. He runs to Assyria and says to their king, I will worship you, I will serve you. Your gods will be my gods, but come and rescue me. He didn't stop there. He took all of the ornaments and the things that were in the temple that was made for God and gave them to the Assyrians and said, I will serve you. Your gods will be my gods. I will serve you. So what we're seeing here is not the whole story. Whenever Isaiah goes to Ahaz, God is saying, ask for a sign for me to show you that I'm worthy of faith, for me to show you that I'm the only one that can help you. And we see Ahaz not say something out of piety or out of being religious of saying, I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. You see him saying, I don't need him. Matter of fact, I don't want him. I've got this taken care of. I've got my friend over here. And so he's not doing this out of piety or anything like that, but he's doing it because he cares nothing about God. And then we see how does Isaiah respond? He says, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? He goes from talking just to Ahaz to, O house of Israel, O house of David, I mean. He talks to all of them, all of you, listen up. You have wearied God. How have they wearied God? Remember, I told you they had good kings, bad kings. Literally, if you read through 2 Kings, it's almost like this the whole time. Good king, bad king, good king, bad, 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 good, good, bad, really bad, really, really bad, good. I mean, that's literally the story. And God says, you have wearied me. And instead of me giving you a sign, he says, God will give this sign. What was the promise? What was the sign? Verse 14, therefore, the Lord himself Will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. I have a son. Most of you know uh, his name is Ellis. He is crazy, a ton of personality, just like his mom. Nothing like me, and so he uh, he he's got to learn how to do everything. Which that might seem obvious, but you don't realize how literally you have learned to do everything that you currently know how to do, pretty much. Um, So whenever Ellis, before he was a year old, it was funny for him that he had to learn how to pick up food and put it in his mouth. For us, we feel like that's second nature, right? We don't usually have a problem with that, but he had to learn to pick it up and make it to his mouth. Now he prefers to eat like this with his hands on the back of his head and then eat whenever he has to and then go back to this motion, which is awful because he gets stuff in his hair. Anyway, that's beside the point. Whole point is that that eventually at one point we had to move from eating with his hands to eating with a utensil challenge number two, right? So he has to get a fork and learn how to stab these things, which for him was like awesome because he's my little man and he's just stabbing everything that he can. Um, But stabbing was one part of the issue. Then we had to make it to the mouth. No longer is it here, it's over here. And so that got interesting. Well, then the real challenge came. We introduced the devil himself called the spoon. And I mean, he had to learn to scoop up, which every morning at some point, The kid eats yogurt. If you've seen him, he's chunky. He doesn't look like he needs much dairy, but he gets no dairy in his diet. So he eats yogurt, and I'm telling you, to start off, it was, he'd scoop it up, and then would throw, or he would (laughs) scoop it up, and then he would go, and you're like, okay, you got to balance it, then get it to the mouth. And I mean, he'd get it all, I'm not going to say anything. At, At some point, I can remember constantly, and even now sometimes, I'd be like, okay, let me just do it. Like, you are struggling, my son. Let me help you out. I mean, help me help you, okay? And so I would just go and I would take over and I would scoop it for him and I would feed him. Sometimes that would be okay, sometimes it would not. But I recognized I needed to take over the situation. And you know what you're seeing right here is God saying, Israel, Judah, you have failed to do the whole purpose of why I called you to be my people. The whole purpose of why I placed you in the promised land, significantly in the middle of everything You were supposed to reach the world for my name and instead you've done the exact opposite. You've become worldly. You've defamed me. You've served other gods. All other gods but me. And God says, I'm gonna be the one to give the sign. The Lord himself is gonna be the one to give the sign. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, if you read much after this, the next verse talks about this son, and then after that, he's not talked about it anymore. It goes back to talking about Ahaz, and you're almost like, okay, this was just a discreet little snippet of this one person. When is he going to come? We don't have any details. You know, we, we especially as Americans in our generation, we want information. We need more information, right? We like systems. We like bullet points. We need more information. It almost seems really discreet. But you see, one of the beautiful things about the book of Isaiah is he gives us as much about what God in Christ is going to look like as anybody. Continuing on in his book, just to share this, he goes on from saying, he'll be born of a virgin. He will have a Galilean ministry. He will be an heir to the throne of David. He will have his way prepared by another, namely John the Baptist. He will be spat on and struck. He will be disfigured by suffering. He will make a blood atonement for sins. He will be widely rejected. He will bear our sin and sorrows. He will be our substitute. He will voluntarily accept our guilt and punishment for sin. Gentiles will seek him. He will be silent before his accusers. He will save those who believe in him. He will die with transgressors. He will heal the brokenhearted. God's spirit will rest on him. He will be buried in a rich man's tomb and he will judge the earth with righteousness. You almost wonder if at the end, if Isaiah said, get the picture, <laughs> he has all these details and I'll be honest with you. This is the stuff that has always excited me is I've been like, I want to look at all the stuff in the old Testament. What all there's 365 prophecies that talk about this coming Messiah. I want to learn about them and see them. This is what amazes me about Jesus. But you read this and the most amazing thing about this story was not that he would be born of a virgin, which to me sounds incredible. Like what? What? It's not that he predicted all these things about his life. It's in this word. His name will be Emmanuel. So what's so significant about that? He's saying God will come and be with us. So hear this. The nature of the birth should not be the most shocking part. Rather, the name of the one who is being born should be. The fact that God would come and and be with us. Had God not done miraculous things before this in the Old Testament? Yes, look at creation. Look at with Noah. Look at with Abraham. Look at with Israel. Look at in Egypt. He's done amazing works and signs. This would not have shocked the hearers. but would have shocked them is, wait, 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 wait. God is coming here? And y'all, for us, I feel like we, we hear this, we, we know every year, December 25th, I, I heard a guy say this this week, December 25th, we know Jesus is coming, like he's been born, that's great, we'll just celebrate that and we'll keep going. And we miss the fact that Jesus is and was God. God is coming to be among us. Josh just read this, all of John chapter one, just listen, It starts with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And it begins to talk about this word, who is Jesus. And listen to the attributes that it gives this Jesus. It says, he is eternal. He is the creator. He is life. He is light. He is our savior. And this person came as a man to live among you and among me. The most amazing part of this passage is not the detail of how he would be born, but the fact that God would choose to come and dwell among us. And we'll dig a little bit more into that later. But this promise should be staggering to us. And one of the main reasons it should be staggering to us is you have to think about what this promise is costing God. How do you measure a promise? A promise means the most when it requires much of the one who makes the promise, right? It means the most when it means the most, it costs the most from the one who makes the promise. I'll give you an example. Let's say you're here. You don't have any money and a friend buys you coffee and you say, you know what? I promise I'll pay you back for that cup of coffee okay, that's a cool promise, right? I mean, two bucks might be a lot to, I know college students were kind of there, you know, two bucks is a lot of money, but I mean, that promise isn't really that big of a deal. Like, okay, if you break that promise, I think I'll find some way to carry on and we can be friends. I'll I'll unfollow you on Instagram, but we'll be friends, right? And so, like, maybe, I don't know if you know this, but we have a taxi service here at the depot. So if, if you ever come here and you're like, hey, look, I promise, if you take me to class, then tomorrow I will take you to class, think I'm kidding. People do that constantly. If you take me to class today, I promise I'll take you to class tomorrow. That's not really that big of a promise, but think about this. I'm doing a wedding this weekend, and I'm looking through some of the stuff that I'm going to be saying, and I'm looking at the vows, and I'm just thinking about what Lee is about to say to Becca. He says this. I'm going to ask him at some point, Lee, do you promise to love and cherish her in sickness and in health for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, forsaking all others, keeping yourself only unto her for as long as as you both shall live. Now, does that promise carry a little bit more weight? Why? Because it costs you a whole lot more than promising to pay back for a cup of coffee. The changing point in mine and Emily's relationship, I'll never forget. We dated 11 months. We broke up. That was a changing point, but that's not what I'm talking about. So three months later, we started dating again. We dated for two and a half months. Well, while we were broken up, I ended up applying for seminary. I got accepted in North Carolina. That's where I was going to seminary. Once we started dating again, it was like, holy cow, you're about to graduate. You're family and child studies, concentration in child life. You want to be a child life specialist. Your internship is wherever you can get one. Then you work wherever you can get a job. And we were talking through this. I remember the very end of April, beginning of May. And she goes, "Merrick, do you want me in North Carolina with you? It's like, yes, yes, I want you there. She goes, if you want me there, I promise I'll be there. Bought a ring next week, proposed. <laughs> Two and a half months later, we got married. We were in North Carolina. But the truth is this. What made that promise mean so much to me is because she said, all that stuff does not matter if it's without you. I want y'all to hear me clearly. When God promised to send his son He willingly promised what would cost him the most the crucifixion of his one and only son. Hear that again. When God promised to send his only son, he willingly promised what would cost him the most the death of his one and only son. That was the promise. One day, the Lord himself will send you a sign. So, what about the fulfillment? We see the promise. We see Isaiah. Let's go 700 plus years later. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Very beginning of Matthew is a genealogy. 17 verses basically proving that Jesus is a descendant of David. But then starting with verse 18, we're going to read 18 through 25. And we're going to talk about the fulfillment of this promise. 18 through 25 says this. for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. 700 plus years later, Matthew's writing about the birth of Jesus, and he said, This is the sign. This is the fulfillment of what was said in Isaiah. Now, to be honest, one of the first questions I typically have, or even that I hear from this, is, God, what took you so long? 700 plus years, really? Well, I want you to know something that's pretty interesting about this is Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. I think I do have it. I might not have it up on the screen. I'll read it to you. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says this says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Hear how that starts. But when the fullness of time had come. In other words, God wasn't waiting for no reason. There was a specific time, a specific reason Jesus came at this point. So Why? What does that make sense? Well, I'll just give you five quick reasons while there are several more. Um, Some that to me I think are the most significant. One, there was great anticipation among the Jews of that time that the Messiah would come. The Romans had overtaken basically most all of the known world. They'd had a big triumph in the 200s BC where this guy named Maccabeus, he he comes out and he saved them from these people trying to take over them. But now they're under Roman rule. They're looking for this Messiah more now than ever saying, when will he come? Second reason along with that, this is the first time one country has basically owned or had obtained all of the known universe. So with this, the Romans had all of it. They had money. There were road systems to basically all of the known world. What what does that mean? It means that the message could spread quicker than ever. There was a time of peace because the Romans had controlled all. The message could spread unhindered now for the first time ever. Third reason, Greece You may have heard of Alexander the Great, took over basically the world for a little while. Well, in so doing, the language of Greek had basically been unified throughout even all of the Roman Empire, where for the first time since the Tower of Babel, there was one common language that most all people could speak, and that was Greek. You're welcome for that rhyme. And, and, And so the whole purpose of this is that not only could the message get out there, but people could understand for the first time Then not only that, because all of these countries had been taken over, they had given up on their idol worship. Why? Because their idols hadn't done anything for them. And they were looking for a God. They were looking for a Savior. And the fifth one is, during this time it was easier for the gospel to spread than ever because so many people, mainly soldiers, would come and learn about what was going on in the land before they would get sent out to further areas. This is how Britain first heard about the gospel, says one scholar. I can't say that I came up with that, but he says this is how it worked. And so the earliest introduction of the gospel to Britain was the result of the efforts of Christian soldiers who learned about Christ, were converted, and then got stationed there. So the promise about this Messiah has been fulfilled. He has come. He is here. And now God is among us. This is where I want to camp at and bring you back to again maybe even now, this isn't that amazing to you, but hear this again. The one who has always existed, the one who is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, John 1.18 says, he came here. God gave up all that and he came here. I was listening this week to a guy preach and he talks about how at one of his older churches, he used to go around and they would knock door to door and just talk to people and share Christ with people. Then one day he knocked on the door of a guy who was a devout Muslim. And he said, this Muslim, really nice, religious man, invites him into his house and says, I would love to talk about this a little bit more. I have some questions. And, and uh, the guy whose name is Andrew says, great, like, let's talk about that. And so Andrew begins having a conversation with this man about Christianity. And the guy basically says, look, here's the deal. Um, if you don't know this, Muslims believe that Jesus was a great prophet, but they don't believe that he was a son of God. Um, and this guy said, I don't understand how y'all can even think that God came to earth as a person. I don't understand how y'all can think that. And I want to get the quote right because I wrote it down. Andrew says this. He said, he could not fathom the thought that God became a man. That would be so utterly beneath God to come to earth. He is God for crying out loud. That is blasphemous to say that God would stoop down to become a little baby. That is below his dignity. It'd be like an owner of a factory stooping down and working in the lowest position in his company times a million. That would be offensive to who God is. And Andrew said, I sat there and I thought for a minute and I said, well, let me ask this. Are you saying God couldn't do that? And the guy steps back and goes, no, no, I'm not saying God couldn't do that. I'm asking why would he? The first thing we talked about in Isaiah, the most significant part was the name Emmanuel, God with us in Matthew 1. The most significant part is the name Jesus, which means what? God saves This is the quintessential question. Why would God do this? Why would he come down from where he is to earth? And just like this man says, I'm not saying it's impossible, but why would he lose his dignity? Why would he stoop so low to do this? 1 John 4.10 says, in this is love. Not that you and I loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for yours and my sin. John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. I would tell this man that is the question of the century. Why would He stoop so low? Why would He strip Himself of His dignity? I'll tell you why. Because He loves you and me and we forget it. Christmas is not a time just to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And just think of it like that. Jesus came to earth. Christmas is a time to be amazed and in a lot of ways baffled at the scandal of what this really is. God became man because he loves you and me that much. Think about it. Is anybody in here trapped in sin? Is anybody here fighting the battle and losing? Yeah, he knows that would happen and he still chose to come. Is anybody here claiming to be a Christian? But if you really put your life under a microscope, you would say, maybe I'm not living as such. He knew that would happen. But he still said, I'm coming because I love you. God knows everything about you, past, present, and future, and yet he chose to come anyway. Why would he stoop so low? Because he loves us. And to be honest, we'll never fully comprehend why. This is what Christmas is about, is recognizing the God who loved me and you that much. Remember what all I said, all the details about Jesus in Isaiah? God knew he would be betrayed. He came anyway. He knew he'd be spit on. He came anyway. He knew he'd be betrayed by someone who was closest to him. He came anyway. He knew he would be beaten and crucified beside thieves. He came anyway. He became sin who knew no sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. That's a scandal. You know why that's so hard to believe? Because why would a God do that unless he loved us in a way we fully can't comprehend? But through Jesus you can. Christmas is a reminder. Jesus didn't come just to be a baby. He came to be Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus. He came to save us. So what are the implications of that? We could stay here all night and talk about the implications. I'm just going to give you four quickly. Just walking through them. I'm not even going to explain them that far. What are the implications of this? One, God came and entered our world to show us a glimpse of who he is. John 1.18, like I said, um, Josh read this earlier. I think I have the verse. It says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, which is Jesus. He has made him known. God came and entered our world to show us a glimpse of who he is. In Jesus, we see what God looks like. We see how God would have lived. We see how God loves. We see how God serves. And he's shown us a glimpse of who he is. The interesting thing about this, y'all, is right here, You have everything you need to know about God. And most perfectly, you see it in the person and work of Jesus. He came to show us himself even more. Second implication is God has broken the barrier that was between him and man. Because of Jesus, we can have a relationship with God. John 1, 12 through 13, he says this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He came to make you and I sons and daughters of the king. Ever since Adam and Eve, God and man have been separated and Jesus stepped down and broke that barrier forever. He came to reconnect us back to God, to reconcile us back to God. The third implication I'll give you is God came to be with us and to show us that he will always be with us. My favorite things about Matthew, Matthew chapter one, it starts, Emmanuel, God with us. You fast forward to the very end of Matthew, the very last verse, Matthew 28, 20. Jesus is leaving earth and the very last thing he says, he says, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm Emmanuel, I'll be with you. In John 14, 16, he says, I will not leave you alone. I'll give you another helper. This word another means just like me. You see, whenever God sent Jesus, he sent Jesus to be Emmanuel, God with us. Whenever Jesus left, he sent the Holy Spirit to be God with us. We don't walk alone. I read a testimony this week that was excellent by a girl named Rachel Gilson, struggling with a lot of deep sin in her life came to faith and just really wrestled with some sin that was in her life and wrestled with it. But it's overcome it. And whenever they talked to her, they said, how could you overcome it? How could you beat some of this deep sin in your life? And she said, I read the Bible and I saw that God was with all of them. And I really believe that he was with me as well. Jesus sent, God sent Jesus to be with us and he will always be with us. Whatever you're struggling with, he will walk with you. Wherever you're hurting, he's with you. He's felt it. He knows what it's like to be hurt, betrayed. He knows what it's like to experience pain, to experience loss. He's been here and he's with you and me. (laughs) Lastly, God came to show us that he will stop at nothing to show us his love. He'll stop at nothing to show us his love. Romans 5, 8, my guess is most of you probably know it. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came to show us he'll stop at nothing to show us his love. My question for you tonight is, God forsook all to love you. Will you forsake all to love him back? What in your life are you not letting go of? If there was a microscope on your life tonight, what would be dark, dark, as night, what needs to come to light? Will you forsake it? He forsook everything to love you. Christmas isn't just about Jesus being born. Isn't just about talking about a baby. We're called to remember that we serve the type of God who would send us his only son to love us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much, one, that that's the title you give us to call you as Father. Lord, I just want to pray as we're entering this Christmas season, as we're getting closer to celebrating the birth of God with us, the birth of Emmanuel, the birth of Jesus, the one you sent to be with us, to show us the way, but to ultimately die for our sins and bring us back to you, God. Help us focus on him during this season. May this be a time where we always hear it's the season of giving. Help us give all of ourselves to you. Make it be real in our hearts tonight, God. A lot of us struggle still with sin. Help us break the barriers. Help us break the bonds. Help us make the changes now. You forsook everything to come and show us your love. The promise cost you as much as it possibly could. And God, I pray we'd give you as much as you've given us, our everything tonight Lord help us worship you help us love you as the God who is worthy of all love let's call this father in your name amen just want to encourage y'all as they play I want to encourage you to worship whatever that looks like if you want to talk to me I'll be in the back I'd love to talk with you if you want to talk afterwards please catch up with me or catch up with Jacob I'd love to talk with you if maybe tonight you see you know what Jesus is real to me. I want to follow him. I want to abandon all for him. I want to encourage you to do that. Maybe tonight there's sin you have got to repent of. I want to encourage you, don't wait. It will never get any easier. Maybe tonight you just want to worship and say, God, I'm sorry I've forgotten. I'm sorry I've gotten used to you. Help me be amazed again tonight. Whatever it is, worship as you sit, worship as you pray, worship as you sing, but worship in whatever way you want to.